0: Welcome to this special omnibus edition of Galnet News Digest, which brings you a summary of the news from the year 3304, never before broadcast on Hutton Radio. If you're looking for Hutton Orbital News, Commander Flossie's Community Goals, Buck Naked and the Hutton Top Trucker, and The Green Room, you might like to skip this podcast. Otherwise, buckle in. There's a whole year to get through. Galnet News Digest, review of the year 3304. We recall the news so you don't have to. Thargoids advance The year begins with continuing Thargoid attacks on stations in the Pleiades. Reed's rest in Marope, and Obsidian Orbital in Maya are amongst the stations attacked in the week marking the first anniversary of the Thargoids' return to human-occupied space. Aegis responds by issuing decontamination limpets which scrape toxic slime off the hulls of attacked ships. Aegis seems unwilling to engage the Thargoids directly, but it provides rescue ships to assist in the humanitarian effort near damaged stations. In February, with the number of Thargoid damaged stations at 17, the Empire and Federation appeal for assistance to repair the damaged stations. The Federation announces a plan to create autonomous military hardware with which to fight the Thargoids, and Aegis establishes a network of eagle-eye monitoring posts to track the systems the Thargoids may be targeting. It becomes apparent that the Thargoids are advancing towards the core systems of the bubble, Thargoid attacks then settle down to a regular, weekly cycle. There are rumours of a massive Thargoid invasion in April when a listening post is found in Pollux broadcasting the poem Chanson d'Automne by Paul Verlaine. This poem has previously been used to signal the start of an invasion. The speculation abates when it is revealed that the listening post is a memorial to Commander Tony Pox, who passed away the previous year. Guardians speak of Thargoids. In the face of imminent funding cuts, engineer and Guardian specialist Ran Tar appeals for Guardian artefacts to allow his research to continue. Molecular scans on the resultant materials reveals the location of new Guardian sites, which in return reveal information that allows Tar to make available new Guardian weaponry and power plant technology. In March, Engineer Tarr provides new decryption algorithms to decrypt the information held in the triangular pillars at Guardian sites. Errors in his programming mean that early attempts at decrypting the Guardian logs are thwarted and the mission data reset overnight. However, a picture gradually emerges of the war between Guardians and Thargoids, and of the Guardian effort to build an effective means of repelling the tentacled hordes. It also becomes apparent that there must be many more Guardian sites spread throughout the galaxy. Professor Tesro of Aegis publishes a report on the history of Thargoid-Guardian conflict, drawing heavily on Ramtar's research. The Thargoids appear to have seeded vast areas of space with their barnacles long before the Guardian civilization became established. Returning millions of years later, they treated the Guardians as an infestation and attempted to remove them by force the Guardians fought back, using progressively more sophisticated weaponry until the autonomous military hardware they'd developed finally drove the Thargoids off, and then turned on the Guardians and destroyed them too. Tesra reasons that the Thargoids returning now to human space means that they are here to reap the biomechanical harvest of the barnacles, and that they will attempt to wipe humanity out if it threatens access to that harvest. The report is generally taken to mean that the Thargons cannot be reasoned with and efforts to develop anti-Xeno weaponry are redoubled. The Sirius Corporation announces a significant expansion of its presence in the frontier worlds of Sothis and Sios, a direct result of the popularity of these systems for tourists. <music> Diffusing the UA Bomb In August, the Eagle Eye network is briefly taken offline by Thargoid sensor interference at Dantech Enterprise. Aegis Corps is obliged to relocate to Seoul after it is discovered that the group that planted the Thargoid sensors has also funded a political takeover of the system as part of a protest against Aegis tactics. President Hudson condemns those that are more interested in fighting their fellow men than engaging the Thargoid enemy. Thargoid sensor interference, also known as UA-bombing, remains a key terrorist weapon until the end of November, when Aegis, stung by the vulnerability of its base at Dantec Enterprise, develops a hyper-efficient means of using tiny amounts of meta-alloy to make starports immune from the impact of Thargoid sensors, paving the way for the sensors to become legally tradable. The Gnosis Disaster In August, Canon Interstellar announces plans to fly its megaship, the Gnosis, to the Cone Sector, a small island of stars surrounded by a sea of permit-locked systems. This opportunity to travel to an area that has been inaccessible for more than two years causes great excitement amongst explorers, several thousand of whom fly lightly shielded unarmed exploration vessels to the ship in preparation for the jump. The Pilots' Federation then issues a series of contradictory statements, stating that the Cone Sector has now been permit-locked, but the jump will nonetheless be permitted to proceed. On the 6th of September, the research vessel the Gnosis starts its scheduled jump to the Cone Sector. However, it is hyperdicted by Thargoids and drops back to normal space not far from its original position, damaged and surrounded by hundreds of more aggressive Thargoids than have previously been seen. Hundreds of unarmed exploration ships are unable to launch without being destroyed. Some are destroyed while still in the docking bay. Others attempt to escape and are almost instantly vaporised. The small number of armed ships that attempt to fight off the alien hordes are listed as wanted by cannon and shipped off to detention facilities. The incident causes the greatest loss of life and destruction of ships since the war in Loon. There are rumours that Galnet was tipped off in advance about the impending bloodbath, as it publishes an account of the incident shortly before the events actually happen. Whether Galnet has been infiltrated by the Thargoids, by members of the Pilots' Federation, or by some other shadowy organisation is unclear. But what does seem clear is that several thousand explorers were knowingly sent to their deaths. Ramtar attacked. Rantar announces the discovery of new Guardian data signatures, which are found to emanate from vast orbiting sentinels. These otherworldly constructions hold the key to unlocking a human variant of Guardian ship launched fighter technology, which Tar releases via his chain of technology brokers. Guardian fighters use force field technology, meaning that their wings appear to float free from the main body of the fighter. Engineer RamTar's successes in discovering and adapting Guardian technology does not go unnoticed by other key players. In October, armed intruders attempt to gain access to TAR's technological centre, Phoenix Base in Mien. The base's power supply is sabotaged, but the raiders are successfully repelled and make good their escape. In response to the raid, Lee Yong-Rui of the Sirius Corporation offers to provide protection in return for the opportunity to manufacture and market Ram Guardian-inspired technologies. Ta rejects the offer, saying his technology is too important to be restricted to one manufacturer. But the Sirius Corporation says it hopes he will reconsider. In early November another incursion in the mean system is thwarted by Security Chief Harper Vargas. The target of the mercenaries is once again identified as Rantar's Phoenix base. The Sirius Corporation once again urges Tar to cooperate and to allow the Sirius Corporation to protect Guardian technology. However, after a number of escape pods from the mercenary fleet are recovered, Tar discovers that the attacks were instigated by the Sirius Corporation, presumably to scare him into cooperation. The Sirius Corporation arrests a number of its own junior officers whom it accuses of plotting the attacks without the knowledge of senior Sirius executives. Meanwhile, Aegis deploys its own security forcing to, mean to ensure Ram continuing safety and independence. NEW THARGOID TACTICS In December, as the year draws to a close, rumours circulate that the Thargoids are about to change tactics and will remain in attacked systems unless comprehensively defeated. In the first big test of this in Electra, the Thargoids are comprehensively defeated. THE LEAGUE OF REPARATION Possibly the most sensational, not to mention long and convoluted, story of the year was that of the League of Reparation. In April, Imperial Senator Nestor Cartesius is found murdered at his home on Capitol, with a note attached to his body reading For Jameson. This is believed to be a reference to Commander John Jameson, whose crushed cobra was discovered in October 3303, and who appears to have been duped into undertaking a genocidal mission against the Thargoids in the year 3151 and to have then been murdered by his puppet masters, the Intergalactic Naval Reserve Arm, the INRA, who developed a fungal biochemical virus that with Jameson's unwitting assistance may have set back the Thargoid invasion by 150 years. The Imperial Internal Security Service confirms that Senator Cartesius was directly descended from a senior member of the INRA, and that the crime may have been an attempt at familial revenge. The assassin who murdered Senator Nestor Cartesius is identified in early May as an ex-member of the Imperial Guard. Examination of her communication records shows that she was employed to assassinate the Senator by an organisation calling itself the League of Reparation, which has the goal of securing justice for the victims of the Inra's crimes. Captain Neve Suetonia of the Imperial Guard warns that there may be many thousands of prospective victims in the Empire and in Federal and Alliance space. Within days, her words are proven true, with the murder of three Federal citizens and Alliance Fleet Admiral Tulimag Buchanan, all descendants of INRA officials. A message is transmitted galaxy-wide. We do not forget the crimes of the INRA. We do not forgive those who carry their guilt. For Jameson, Alliance Commodore Riri McAllister announces that everything has been done to try to track down the criminals responsible for these atrocities. It is the youthful McAllister who is shortly afterwards selected to replace the murdered Fleet Admiral on the Council of Admirals, bypassing several more senior candidates. The League of Reparation continues its killing spree throughout June, murdering targets in Federal, Imperial and Alliance space. The words for Jameson are etched in laser on the hulls of the destroyed ships. A particularly grim murder is that of Luca Hem, who is strapped alive into an ancient Cobra Mark III which is then launched on a crash course with an asteroid, replicating the circumstances of Commander John Jameson's death. Luca Hem's ancestor Amaro Hem was allegedly the INRA programme director responsible for ensuring that Jameson did not return alive from his mission against the Thargoids. Analysis of communications reveals that League of Reparations operatives are receiving their orders from a mysterious source called Nexus. Engineer Laurie Jameson, who's a descendant of John Jameson, condemns the actions of the League of Reparation and calls for them to stop. The investigation against the League of Reparation begins to gain traction following a sting operation led by Alliance Interpol's Chief Inspector Kay Bride. Two would-be assassins are captured alive and taken for interrogation. However, within a week, Chief Inspector Kilbride has been murdered after being lured to an abandoned building by the League of Reparation. The Taciturn Deputy Inspector Mara Klatt is appointed to replace her. Deputy Inspector Klatt declines to make any statement to the press. Over the following month, a number of raids against the League of Reparation are carried out in Empire and Federation space, with numerous arrests and eliminations. The League is found to be using classified encryption devices which are not generally available, suggesting involvement by high-level government officials. There are no arrests or detentions in alliance space until the sudden and unexpected arrest on the twelfth of July of Admiral George Varma, who is accused by federal and imperial agents of being the mysterious Nexus. Once again, Deputy Inspector Clatt declines to make any comment. However, the following week she breaks her silence, revealing that Rear Admiral Riri McAllister is Nexus, and that Admiral Varma had been framed by her in an attempt to deflect attention. Riri McAllister has been arrested. Two remaining League of Reparation enclaves are bombarded over the following week, and by the end of July the League of Reparation is declared eliminated. During August, Riri McAllister, who claims to be a descendant of John Jameson, is shot during her trial at the Alliance Chamber of Justice on Turner's World, in Alioth. The gun was fired by Polly Cortesius, an Imperial citizen and daughter of the first victim of the League of Reparation, Senator Nestor Cortesius. She is taken into custody by Imperial Security to be returned to capital to stand trial. McAllister is not killed by the shot but is in need of intensive medical care. She's put on a ship to take her to an intensive care facility, but the ship does not arrive at its destination. Debris is found, but it's not clear what happened and whether McAllister was killed, rescued or kidnapped. She is listed as a missing person, leaving an unsatisfying loose end in the story of the League of Reparation. The Far God Cult (music) Meanwhile, the story of the Far God Cult has been playing out. This is the story of conflict between those of different beliefs, reflecting the growing fears of Thargoids amongst ordinary citizens. In June, journalist O'Conquo publishes an article discussing the beliefs of a fringe religious group. The Far God Cult believes that the Thargoids are divine angels heralding the coming of the sacred presence from another universe, the so-called Far God, who will destroy the galaxy but save cult adherents. Meanwhile, the cult members worship in hive chapels with pulsing green lights, sharp black coral-like surfaces, and a strong stench of ammonia there is an almost instant backlash against the Fargod cult. The following month, self-appointed figurehead Juanita Bishop heads a grassroots campaign against the Fargods, calling for the alien worshippers to be exiled to live amongst the aliens they seem to love so much. Security forces attempt to protect the cult members following acts of vandalism and assault. As the protests grow, some begin to suggest that the Fargod cultists may be Thargoid spies. The Guardian-worshipping Church of Eternal Void vows to purge the poisonous far-god Creed from the Galaxy, earning praise and support from Campaigner Bishop. However, following a series of murders and firebombings of Hive Chapels, the Church of Eternal Void is declared illegal before the month is out. In August, following the outlawing of the Church of Eternal Void, the Federal Intelligence Agency turns its spotlight onto the Fargod cult, lending renewed vigour to the popular campaign to discredit them. The FIA explains that it will investigate the allegations that the Fargod cult is spying for the Thargoids. As August wears on, the net widens, with thousands of Fargod cult members arrested, along with known sympathisers and even academics such as Alfred Yulianoff. Reports begin to circulate that Thargoid cult members are vanishing, although it is not clear if this is due to the Federal Security investigation or something more sinister. On a wave of anti-Thargoid sentiment, Juanita Bishop announces she will run for Congress. The federal investigation into the Far God cult is brought abruptly to an end in September. After journalist Gethin Okonko publishes a detailed report of his time living undercover as a Far God cult member, which reveals the cult to be essentially harmless. This account is widely accepted, and Juanita Bishop is forced to withdraw from the congressional race after her support base collapses. Okonko and Yulianov announce that they're working on a book about the Far God cult an enterprise that Bishop will continue to oppose vehemently. The Federal Intelligence Agency reveals that its own undercover agent went missing during the investigation, something that is eventually linked to a far gone programme to cryogenically freeze its members on planets Etain, 4A and 4C, to await the coming of the far-god. Ashling's Wedding Princess Aisling Duval's wedding to Ambassador Rochester is the most talked-about social event that never happened. In April, in a rare moment of political acuity, Princess Ashling questions whether the Federation and Alliance have done enough to support Aegis in its scientific and military efforts against the Thargoids, a suggestion that Commodore Riri McAllister of the Alliance Defence Force roundly rejects. However, there appears to be support for Aegis being more open about its strategy. Commentators discuss whether the Princess's speech shows that she's more than just a fluffy-headed heiress. But if they expect better of her, she's soon to prove them wrong. In May, journalist Solomon Helios begins the speculation about whom eligible Bachelorette, Princess Ashling, might marry, now that Admiral Denton Petraeus is out of the running. He identifies three likely suitors wealthy old Senator Caspian Leopold, passionate young anti-slavery campaigner Jarl Teredo, and the Federal Ambassador to Duval's home planet, Jordan Rochester. Leopold is seen as a safe candidate, Toredo represents the passion of youth, while Rochester is seen as a political opportunity to forge bonds between Federation and Empire. For the next two months, the press is full of imperial wedding speculation, with first Ambassador Rochester, then Senator Leopold, seen spending time with the Princess. Jarl Teredo announces the merging of his and the Princess's anti-slavery organisations, Universal Liberty and Stop Slavery Stupid, creating Unchain. Despite this, to radio hints that the princess's attention might be focused elsewhere—a belief that's validated when, on the 22nd of June, Princess Duval announces her engagement to Ambassador Rochester. The princess recognizes that marrying a federal citizen is unorthodox, but says that love knows no bounds, and says she hopes the marriage will allow the Empire and Federation to work more closely together. Emperor Arissa Livigny Duval. Makes no official comment. In July, the date of the Imperial wedding is announced as the 25th of August. Slave Trader Zamina Torval prophetically attacks Ashling's romance as a reckless public relations exercise with the sole purpose of keeping Princess Ashling in the limelight shares in Core Dynamics, a corporation in which Jordan Rochester's elder brother Jupiter is a senior executive, fall sharply amid speculation that the Federal Navy will be unable to do business with a corporation that has an imperial connection. The month of August begins with an apparent assassination attempt on Princess Ashling, with a number of bombs detected and diffused at an unchained anti-slavery rally in the Zhao system the perpetrators are never caught. But worse is to come. Shortly afterwards, it is revealed that the prismatic princess has been conducting a secret romantic relationship with her unchained partner, young and dashing Jarl Teredo, even after her marriage to Ambassador Rochester was announced. Teredo resigns from Unchain, but also reveals that the Blue Rinse Princess has no romantic feelings towards Rochester and that the marriage has been arranged purely to advance her political scheming. If Teredo feels betrayed, it's hard to see how Rochester could feel any different. Three days before the wedding, on the 22nd of August, Rochester's mother, Congress member Isolde Rochester, issues a terse announcement calling off the wedding. The date of the wedding passes with no further comment from either side. Princess Ashling disappears from public view, although there are unconfirmed reports that she's been seen disguised in a ginger wig broadcasting her adventures to the galaxy. The bot hacking scandal. In late August and early September, the Morris Tribune scoops two major scandals but everything is not as it seems. Seoul-based Congressman Morgan Unwin is revealed to be not only in debt to the criminal Red Family Cartel, but to be trafficking huge quantities of drugs on the cartel's behalf. Unwin is arrested and Kingsley Cordova, the Tribune's owner, is fated by Federal Congress. Actor Thomas Touray is then revealed by Mars Tribune to be having an extramarital affair with Olympic athlete Regan Lord. This is politically significant, as Taray's husband is Senior Core Dynamics Executive Jupiter Rochester, the brother of Ambassador Jordan Rochester, jilted fiance of the Imperial Princess Ashling Duval. Terai and Lord announce their intention to sue the Moir's Tribune, but owner Kingsley Cordova says he's confident in the truth of the story. A third scandal hits Saul when business magnate Lloyd Hardacre is arrested for fraud after details of fraudulent misuse of company funds are revealed at a shareholder meeting by an apparently faulty administration robot. It is later revealed that a surveillance programme has been embedded into the Achilles Corporation robot and that the Federal Security Service is investigating. In October, more administration robots in the Sol system are discovered to have spy software installed. Owners start destroying their PA912 robots amid fears that they might all be fitted with spy software. The Achilles Corporation denies any wrongdoing, pointing out that its 20 million robots are trusted throughout the Federation. The administration robots of disgraced businessman Morgan Unwin and two-timing Thomas Turay are discovered to have the spy software installed, creating the suspicion that the Morris Tribune, which exposed these scandals, might be behind the spy software. The Morris Tribune strenuously denies any involvement and hints that if the FSS tries to implicate the Tribune, sensitive information about the FSS that may have been gathered by spy robots might become public. The incorruptible Federal Security Service instantly rules the Mars Tribune out as a suspect in the bot hacking scandal. Lieutenant Inspector Ramesh Thorne of the FSS is suspended after making an unauthorised public appeal for information linking the Mars Tribune to the spy software. However, Thorne's appeal results in a lead, followed up by the Federal Times, which makes contacts with a robotics engineer at Achilles Corporation, who claims that she was blackmailed by Kingsley Cordova into installing the spy software onto PA-912 robots destined for the Sol system. Acting on this information, the Federal Security Service arrests Cordova and shuts down the Morris Tribune. The Achilles Corporation uses a kill switch provided by the unnamed robotics engineer to remove the spy software from all its robots, and it also pledges to replace any robots destroyed by their owners. Lieutenant Ramesh Thorne gets a promotion, and they all live happily ever after, except for Kingsley Cordova and the staff of his newspaper. The Rise of Nova Imperium A new threat to the status quo is rising from within the Empire. In November, radical political group Nova Imperium rapidly gained support throughout the Empire for its uncompromising isolationist agenda. Led by the shadowy Duke Kaizo Mordanticus, who styles himself the Imperator, the organisation calls for the overthrow of the relatively liberal Emperor Arissa Lavigny Duval and for a return to the days when the Empire was great when the Empire was strong and pure, and could repel the Thargoids all on its own, a time of war, a time of uncertainty, a time of famine. Nova Imperium finds a figurehead in a previously unknown descendant of the now deceased Emperor Hengist, called Hadrian Augustus Duval, grandson of a slave with whom Hengist had a brief affair. Anti-slave trade campaigner Princess Ashling Duval, who would have been first in line to the throne had Hengis not disowned her father, and slave trader Zemina Torval both speak out against Nova Imperium. But as the campaign to overthrow the Emperor gains traction, the Federation and Alliance ready themselves to intervene in what many fear may rapidly devolve into civil war in the Empire. Vitadine Nanomeds. A new miracle drug is developed, but is it all that it seems? Following the merger of Allied Medical Industries and Neosalve Incorporated to form Neomedical Industries at the beginning of December, it's instead independent startup Vitadine Labs that announces the medical breakthrough of the year. Nanomedicines work at the molecular level to slow ageing, heal injuries and cure almost any disease or infection, and could lengthen life expectancy by up to 50 years. After exhaustive clinical trials lasting nearly a week, the Interstellar Health Organisation declares that nanomeds are indeed wonder drugs, and authorises their sale on the open market. Simguru Pranav Antal, the leader of Utopia, claims, however, that vitadine nanomeds are in fact technology stolen from a Utopian medical transport that went missing earlier in the year. He demands the return of the technology to Utopia on the grounds that people living outside this magic realm should not be permitted good health or a long life. (music) Dove Enigma On the 12th of January, the Dove Enigma expedition sets out from Jackson's Lighthouse to travel to the newly commissioned Dove Enigma research vessel in Colonia. The vessel is named in honour of Commander Dove Enigma 13, whose wish it is to see Colonia before the end of his life. While the expedition's en route, they learn that the new megaship has been UA bombed, something that shuts down many of the facilities on the ship. There's widespread condemnation of the terrorists who committed this act of vandalism, and a huge repair effort swings into action. Within days, many thousands of tonnes of meta-alloys have been shipped to the station, and it's restored to full working order in time for the expedition's arrival. The Sim Archive In February, eco-mystic Simguru Pranav Antal requests assistance to upgrade and extend his so-called Sim Archive. This is Utopia's vast repository of the wisdom and knowledge of the generations of humans that have come before. Far more than a library, the Sim Archive seeks to digitise human consciousness itself, allowing us to transcend our physical selves. Pranav Antal pops up again in April this time requesting military assistance to guard his electronic repository of human consciousness, the Sim Archive, from Thargoid attack. He seems quite pleased with the idea that even if humanity is entirely wiped out, the Sim Archive will preserve the disembodied soul of what we used to be. Winking Cats Part 1 In early June, cyber artwork Uscape is stolen from the City Garden Gallery on Turner's World in Alioth. Authorities are at a loss to explain how the thieves could have breached the comprehensive security surrounding the sentient artwork, which is capable of adapting to the viewer's personal taste. The thieves leave a calling card, a spray-painted graphic of a winking cat. Also in June, billionaire Zachary Rackham, believed to be ex-pirate Calico Zack, makes a massive capital investment, funding the creation of shipyards in all surface bases in the region, allowing commanders to base themselves at these ports. Critics suggest that this is some kind of tax dodge by Rackham. Missiles, Camels and Bodice Rippers In July, an armed nuclear weapon is found on the seabed of Old Earth. It is believed to be a relic from World War III, which took place between 2044 and 2055. But due to the poor condition of the 1,000-year-old missile, it is unclear whether it had been launched from the United States or had been shot down by the US defensive laser grid. The United States was the only nation to emerge unscathed from World War III and form the core of what we now know as the Federation. A remake is announced of the classic children's animation Andromedaries, which features spacefaring camels from another galaxy. The remake will apparently be a blood-soaked journey of psychological discovery, showcasing the trials and pressures of intergalactic travel. Famous author of historical romances, Olaf Redcourt, begins a promotional tour for the latest book in his Corsair King series. The hollow novel will allow the reader to adjust all key aspects of the story to their personal preference, with narrative structure, vocabulary, characterization and plotline all up for grabs. Mr. Redcourt appears somewhat less than impressed by his new role as an interstellar pinball on his two-month book tour. The Federal Lottery At the end of July, an appeal is launched to find the winner of the Federal Grand Lottery. It is predicted that the holder of the winning ticket will be a billionaire. At the beginning of August, it transpires that the winner of the Federal Grand Lottery is indeed a billionaire, namely the owner of Rackham Capital Investments, Billionaire Zachary Rackham, the man who funded the creation of shipyards in Colonia. Critics suggest that this was some kind of money laundering by ex-pirate Rackham. Books, Runaway Robots and 2. New Devices As August progresses, author O. F. Redcourt sensationally abandons his book tour, denouncing his previous output as garbage, and proclaiming his wish to start again as a science fiction author. His agent says she hopes the new career as an author in a niche market is enough to pay for the breach of contract with Bonespire Publication. Later in the year, Redcourt goes into hiding after receiving death threats from distraught fans of the Corsair King books. A MacArthur mining robot comes to life while being loaded onto a shuttle on homeland in Beta Hydri, crawls across the landing area and then burrows into the ground, raising concerns that it has gained sentience. It takes nearly a week to locate and deactivate the robot, which was happily mining ores in the Blue Peak Mountains, several hundred kilometres from the landing field where it escaped. Macarthur Mining are quick to explain that the robot is not sentient, but had accidentally been activated and was obeying a preset programme to mine the nearest mineral scene. No harm is caused by the incident two new rival human-machine interfaces are announced. The Supratech Torque will be a ring-shaped device worn on wrist or neck and will project a holographic user interface around the user, augmenting reality with a detailed and comprehensive wraparound display. The rival Herculean DuraDrive will be a rubberised brick with a display on one side. Both devices will be revealed at the Zachary Rackham Ultratech Expo in October. Winking Cats, Part 2 In September the Winking Cat art thieves strike again, stealing the artwork New Dawn Collective from the Imperial Museum of Culture in Iotiensis. The thousand-year-old sculpture is of great historical significance, celebrating the decision of the settlers in that system to join the Empire. Police once again have no leads, except for the spray-painted Winking Cat. The Alliance Presidential Election Towards the end of September, Alliance President Gibson Kincaid confirms that he will stand for re-election. While the role is currently ceremonial with the Prime Minister wielding most of the power, Kincaid plans to rewrite the constitution to give the President executive powers and a six-year term of office. His plan is to lead the Alliance to become as powerful and decisive as the Federation and Empire. Other candidates are entrepreneur Fazia Silva, who will seek to improve the Alliance's trading position, and safe pair of hands Elijah Beck, representing the status quo. The election will be held in October. Before the election happens in October, Fazia Silva, the pro-business candidate in the Alliance presidential race, is found murdered in her rooms at Hume Orbital, with traces of poison in her bloodstream, which are later confirmed to be nerve toxin. Circumvention of sophisticated security leads the Alliance Interpol to believe that this was the work of professional assassins, but with no leads to follow, they leave the case unsolved. Gibson Kincaid, who declares the murder an assault on democracy, goes on to win the election. However, the Alliance Assembly declines to grant Kincaid the sweeping executive powers he demanded. Instead, they set up the apolitical Office of the Alliance President, in charge of ambassadorial and diplomatic functions. One of Kincaid's first actions is to stage manage the appointment of Admiral Frederick Yamamoto to the Alliance Council of Admirals, replacing the disgraced Riri McAllister. DuraDrive bounces back. Despite a devastating fire at Supratech and a scandal linking Herculean to organised crime, both the Torque and the DuraDrive are premiered as planned at the Rackham Ultratech Expo. Technical issues plague the advanced Torque design, and it is the robust DuraDrive that wins funding from Rackham Capital Investments, after its owner, Zachary Rackham, is unable to damage the prototype DuraDrive by jumping up and down on it. The DuraDrive enters production a week later and becomes widely adopted by the Federal Navy. Zachary Rackham, the successful businessman, philanthropist, tax dodger, pirate and lottery winner, is targeted by a sophisticated hack that withdraws one billion credits from his personal bank account and distributes the money to several hundred of Rackham's former employees, who had been denied a pension by the stingy old skinflint. The perpetrators are revealed to be a secretive anarchist activist organisation known as The Collective, an organisation that believes all information should be in the public domain, except, of course, information about themselves. Critics of Rackham rejoice in the irony of ex-pirate Rackham having his lottery winnings stolen by cyber pirates. A number of improvements were made to the galaxy over the past year. Here is a very quick rundown of some of the most exciting. February Galactic authorities introduce a number of much harsher responses to crime, with the introduction of advanced tactical response and detention centres. Bounties now never go dormant, and killing members of the Pilots' Federation raises something called notoriety. Lakon introduces a new medium combat ship, the Alliance Chieftain. The Keelback gets a second seat, which makes operating the ship-launched fighter a whole lot easier. The Lakon Type 9 gets a massive increase in cargo space, with an extra size 8 bay. Engineering gets easier, with progressively improved modules, pinnable blueprints, remote engineering and permaterial storage caps. Synthesis is also improved, often with simplified requirements for easier-to-find materials, although the actual process of synthesis is now much slower. The Guardian frameshift drive booster is introduced and then immediately withdrawn for modification after it is discovered that ships fitted with the module have a zero light-year jump range. Galnet audio becomes available for those who like their news read to them. June The Guardian frameshift drive booster is reintroduced. It works this time, opening up faraway places for explorers and often allowing combat ships to jump as far as the next system. Falcon de Lacey introduces the Crate Mark II. All other ships are parked up as everyone goes crate crazy. Lacon introduces a new medium combat ship, the Alliance Challenger. August. Lacon introduces a new medium combat ship, the Alliance Crusader. Four new engineers set up shop in Colonia to service the needs of the swelling masses of commanders displaced by Thargoid activity in the Bubble. Commanders who have lived in Colonia since its establishment are angry to discover that these new engineers will not do business unless their prospective customers have already used Bubble-based engineers to customise their ships. Further controversy ensues when it's discovered that one of the new engineers, Etienne Dorn, is demanding that his customers bring him cryogenically frozen humans... to keep in his dungeon. December New mining technology is introduced, including the new Pulse Wave Analyzer, the new Abrasion Blaster, the new Subsurface Displacement Missile and the new Seismic Charge Launcher. Thousands of commanders set off to make their fortunes mining. Thousands of commanders forget to fit at least one of the new devices. Mining asteroids from the inside out and even cracking open asteroids reveals new ranges of minerals with silly names such as Rod Plumsite. One mineral in particular, so-called Void Opals, catch the imagination partly because of their exquisite blackness but mainly because of the ridiculously high prices they command, at least until oversupply starts to reduce demand. Environmental campaigners protest about the clouds of mining debris left in previously pristine rings by the modern-day Klondikers. Exploration equipment is also vastly improved, with the new Full System Scanner capable of discovering all the bodies in a system with no need for intra-system travel. A completely new version of the detailed surface scanner maps bodies using probes, returning information about any surface sites of interest, meaning that the many exciting undiscovered things out in the galaxy can now become less undiscovered. The DSS can also be used to find mineral hotspots in planetary rings, and the FSS can be used to find signal sources. Both the FSS and the DSS require the commander to be in supercruise and throttled right back, leaving them sitting ducks for pirates and other 'er ne'er-do-wells. Squadrons are introduced, leading to confusion in the LAVE system, where the LAVE radio network manages to become leaderless within 24 hours of establishing the squadron. A profanity filter leads to words like poo being turned into asterisks which is a problem if your name is Commander Watherspoon. Falcon de Lacy releases the Crate Phantom, the first new exploration-capable ship since the Diamondback Explorer. The other new ship, Zorgon Peterson's Mamba, is supposed to be modelled on the old racer of that name, but is tweaked to make it safer and less fun. And there's a new Orrery system map. After five minutes playing with it, no one remembers that there is an orary system map. And that brings us to the end of Galnet News for 3304. Where will 3305 take us? We'll continue to read the news as it happens, so you don't have to.